Amen. First Thessalonians chapter number two, beginning in verse number 10, what we see uh, is, is Paul talking about something that uh, he's giving to the church in Thessalonica. This church in Thessalonica, he, he imparts many things to them. And here in verse number 10, notice what he says. He says, you are witnesses. And God also, how holy and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. He's talking about the believers. Now, this is not talking about, um, you know, a, 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 a small group somewhere. This is the church in Thessalonica. And he's telling them, you know, remember how we behaved among you. There's something that I want you to see. I want you to remember how we were among you. They, they, um, they weren't using the people. They, they lived in a holy manner, in a just manner, because he is a, a representative of the kingdom of God. Amen? Now, watch what it says in verse 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. Now, this is talking about you know, the messages that was imparted to the church were given as a father gives instruction to a child. A father gives instruction to a child not because, you know, he's, it's his duty. A father gives instruction to a child because he loves them and wants to see them grow and prosper. Amen? A father wants to see his child become all that he can be. And if he doesn't give the child instruction, he knows he's going to bounce like a pinball from wall to wall. Boom, 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 boom. But with instruction, and don't you see that in our nation? With the lack of fathers in the lives of children. You see this played out in our generation right now. How we have so many children growing up not knowing their father. Sometimes there's extenuating circumstances, but sometimes it's lifestyle. And we're seeing the, the problem, we're seeing the result of it in schools. We're seeing it as these children grow up not having that influence in their life, that guiding hand, amen? And sometimes you might say, well, you know, I don't have a father. I don't have a father. Somebody can be a father to you. Sunday school teacher is the one who touched D.L. Moody's life. A Sunday school teacher was a father to D.L. Moody. Changed his life because that Sunday school teacher got a hold of him. Sunday school teachers all over this nation have changed lives. Teachers have changed lives the void is the vacuum of a presence of a father. And we see that, that Paul's talking about when he's saying this, that he's imparting this not because it's his duty. He's saying, you know, the, the things I'm telling you, I'm not telling you because, all right, it's Sunday. Let me get something together and give you because that's my duty. He's saying, I labor in this. I charge you in this. I instruct you in this because I love you as a father does 
his child. I'm, and so what Paul's about to give us, what you're about to see here, Paul's saying, I'm giving you this instruction because I want you to not be like a pinball machine. I want you to not be bouncing here and there and, and, and going every which direction. I want you to go the way God wants you to go. Amen? So very important distinction, and, and it's, it just shows you the heart of the apostle here. He says in verse number 12, Here's the, here's the deal. This is what he, 12 and 13 is, is what we want to get into this morning. He says that you would walk worthy of God who has called you unto his kingdom and glory. Now, just that first statement is, is more than we can bear. That you would walk worthy of God. Could anybody ever say that they walked worthy of God? What a magnificent statement that is. This is what the charge is. This is what the instruction is. That you would be able to walk worthy of God. Who's called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause, the cause of you walking worthily, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because this, this is the key to understanding how to walk worthily. This is the key. Because when you received the word of God, you, re, you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Now, let's just talk about this for a minute. And we're going to, uh, I, I want to share with you in just, just a moment, um, three effectual changes that the word of God has in our lives three effectual changes that the word of God has in our lives. But before we get into those three changes that the word of God produces, I want you to notice something, that it is not the word, it's how you receive it. If you remember in Mark chapter 4, and if you want to get some homework, that's it. Mark chapter 4, Jesus said, unless you understand this parable, you won't understand anything in the kingdom of God. If you don't understand Mark chapter 4, you're never going to understand anything else in God's kingdom. What is Mark chapter 4? The sower sowing the seed. And the sower, which is God, sows the seed on all types of ground. It is not the seed's fault if the ground has weeds in it or stones in it or if it's a sidewalk, no dirt there. It's, not the, it's the same seed across all types of ground. There are four types of ground that he gives in Mark chapter 4. And, and, and so what you see is it's not the problems, not with the word of God. You want to know why things aren't working in America today? Why the church is the way it is? Why, why, why do we have to have strobe lights? and black lights, and smoke machines, and Starbucks? Why do we have to have all this kind of stuff? Why do we have to have a, you know, a, 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 a rock music production? Why do we have to have that in the church today? Why do we have to have that? Because the word's not enough. 
The word's not enough. But what he says is it's not, it's not the word's fault. It's how you receive it. It's how you receive it. You could receive it um, on good ground or you can receive it with a hard heart. Amen? You can receive it with a hard heart. Whenever somebody's ministering a message, whether it's in Sunday school, whether they're ministering a Bible study, well, it doesn't matter where they are, you should be bringing your heart to it because you should be doing it unto God. You should be listening to the word of God as if that your life depends on it. It does. What does it say about us when we treat the word of God just like we're watching Bonanza. What does it say about us? It says that we have a low view on the importance of God's word. And see here, Paul's saying, you know, this is what changed. You received our word, not as the word of men, but as the word of God himself. That's where the change began in the church of Thessalonica. Because they began to receive what they were preaching, not as the word of men, but as the word of God. That's the difference. They began to actually receive it. They began to get excited about the word of God. You didn't have to go over there and say, hey, wake up. You didn't have to say, hey, wake up, pay attention. You didn't have to say, you need some coffee so you can stay awake through the sermon. You didn't have to say anything like that because they were desiring more of God. They wanted more of God. And so this, this receiving of God's word is what made the difference in Thessalonica, isn't it? This receiving of it. And he says it brought this effectual change. Notice what he says at the end of verse number 13. He says, because of the way that they receive it, it, it effectually worketh also in you that believe effectually working what does the word effectually mean now many of you if you uh, know the book of James you know that the um, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much which means if it's not effectual and not fervent and not righteous your prayer don't avail much but what is that? What is the effectual mean? Here we're seeing this effectual working of the word of God in us that believe. Over there in James, you see this, this effectual fervent prayer. What is that? Well, this effectual, it is an inward work. It's a, it is a burning on the inside. It's something, it's an inward change. It's an inward change. So when James is talking about this effectual fervent prayer, He's not talking about, all right, Lord, here's my one minute. Bless them. That's not effectual and fervent. This effectual kind of prayer that James was talking about is this from the inside, this, oh, God, move in their life. That's, that's coming from this place of effectual fervency. That's called effectual. It's this inward thing that is produced. So God here is talking about when we receive the word of God as it is, it will produce in us this inward burning change. This, there's something, it's, it's almost as if the engine light will come on. It's this inward work that, that comes on as we receive God's word 
for what it truly is. God's word. It must be received in good soil. Good soil. That means that, they're, that we're not bound up with the cares of the world. It means that we're not distracted. I know uh, I heard a, a minister say sometimes, sometimes the most uh, righteous thing that you can do is get a good night's rest. Sometimes. This is the most righteous thing you can do is get a good night's rest. But what do we do? We allow ourselves to stay up hours and hours and hours doing things that profit us nothing in the spirit, and then we're no good the next morning. And, and so sometimes the best thing we can do is, is to get a good night's rest. But there's other times that the spirit will wake you up and tell you to get on your knees and pray through the night. It's called being led by the spirit. Amen? You can't make a rule out of it. But if, if we're going to receive God's word on fertile ground, you can't have those cares of the world in there. Well, Bonanza's on at 10 o'clock. Better close my Bible. You know, I want to go over here and do this. Better, you know, wind it down. We've got to make God the priority in our life. And if the cares of the world are in there, it will choke out what God's doing. It doesn't matter how powerful a, a message is. It doesn't matter how powerful the revelation is that God shows you in his word. If you don't receive it on good, fertile ground, it will profit you nothing. God could give you the most powerful revelation that anybody's ever known. You could open up your Bible tonight and God could show you just the, something magnificent and beautiful nobody else has ever seen. But if you've got the cares of the world in your heart, those cares will choke the power of that revelation out. That's what Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter 4. We've got to make sure that our hearts are tilled up and ready to receive what God has for us. So you, you see this effectual working um, that, that Paul's talking about, it, it produces a walk worthy of God. A walk worthy of God. That is a powerful statement. A life lived in respect to and in the light of God and what he's done for you. A life lived not for ourselves, not for our favorite team, not for our retirement, not for our four and no more, not for our denomination. A life that is lived in respect to and in the light of God and what he's done for you on the cross. That's called walking worthy of God. And that's where so many people fail because we don't have this effectual working on the inside of us. Now, this effectual working, before I get into this, this effectual working that we're talking about, this is something that, like I said earlier, it's from the inside out. It's, it's just like how you're transformed. You're transformed from the inside out. You're not conformed. You can't conform yourself into walking worthy of God. This is where most Christians fail, is when a preacher preaches a message like this, you will try to conform yourself into those steps. You know? You need to do like me. You need to walk like me. You need to stop doing this, stop doing that. And that's all you're trying to do is conform, conform, conform. But you've got to get to a place where God does it from the inside. 
and God will transform you from the inside out. It's an effectual working, effectual working. Now watch this. There are three effectual changes that happen in our lives. As we begin to receive what God has, there's an in-working, in-working. There's an in-working that takes place. This in-working produces change in us. It doesn't leave us the way we were. You can't change yourself. It's a work of God. It's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by His Spirit, says the Lord. It's not about you trying harder. It's about you receiving better. As you receive God's word better, it will produce an inward change. An inward change. So that's what we're talking about. An inworking that produces change. This is operating in power as God has intended you. You know, if God is, if God is doing an effectual work in you, no man can stop you. Let me tell you something. You know, I look at the life of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is one of my favorite, uh, you know, prophets in the Bible to read. I love reading Nehemiah. And Nehemiah goes and, and he's, his, his duty is to build the wall. And the whole time he's trying to build, everybody else is trying to tear down. So he has to get to the point where they build with one hand and have a sword in the other hand. And constantly, he's being attacked. Constantly, they're spreading rumors about him. Constantly, they're trying to lay traps for him. Constantly, he's having to watch his back. Constantly. Amen? If, 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 if you know what that's like, there comes a point where you say, that's it. I've had enough of this. I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. You've done talked about me one too many times, buddy. You know, if, 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 if you're doing it like, but you see, when God's doing this effectual work in you, it's this inward change that's taking place, and it's a continual source of power and strength from God. And that's what you see in the life of Nehemiah. He didn't blow up. He didn't blow up. He just stayed steady, steady not being distracted from the mission, keeping on going forward in God, not allowing anybody to distract him from what God had given him to do. And that only can happen when it's in, in it's, it, the mission has been deposited on the inside, in your soul, deep down. When, when you receive what God has given you instruction to do and God empowers you to do it, empowers you to do it. See, doing it in your own strength, you're going to get mad. Doesn't matter what it is. Doing it in your own strength, you're going to get mad or you're going to get frustrated. Why is it that every time I set out to do something for God, my leg gives out or my, my dog runs away or whatever it may be? There's always going to be something that comes against us. And if it's not this inward, effectual thing that's going on from the inside, you're going to stop. So here's the deal. It's to receive God's word, not as any other word, but to receive it as it is the word of God. 
Number one, it is esteeming the word of God above everything else. In other words, let God's word be the be-all, end-all of your life. Doesn't matter what a doctor says. Doesn't matter what any preacher says. Doesn't matter what your neighbor says. It don't even matter what your heart says. The word of God has to be your be-all, end-all, your final authority for all matters of faith and practice. It is receiving God's word as it is. Do you understand that God is so holy and you're so rotten? This is how God communicated with you. This is the major brunt. Everything that takes place in the spirit works in light of the word of God. God's not going to do anything that is in opposition to the word of God. God's not going to operate in, in, in any kind of way that contradicts the word of God. He's not. Somebody says, I had a dream, and, and God was a unicorn, and, you know, and he gave me this magical power. That wasn't God, man. You might have had a dream, but that doesn't mean it's of God. You might have heard a voice, but that doesn't mean it's God. You might, you might think you know something, but you better check it against the word of God. The Bible tells us to test every spirit. Be not deceived. Test every spirit to see whether it be of God. The way that you test a spirit is to weigh it and balance it against the word of God. Somebody tells you you're God, check it against the Bible. The Bible says there's only one God. Er, they're wrong. You start telling people you're God, you're God, you're God. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Because the Bible says there's only one God. He said, beside me, there is none other. This was Lucifer's problem. He tried to ascend to be like the most high. There's only one most high. He's God. We're the creatures. Every other thing has been created. Jesus was never created. Holy Spirit was never created. The Father was never created. Everything else that you use with your mouth has been created. And how we know that is because that's what the word of God declares us. We didn't learn it from a book. We didn't learn it from a theology class. We didn't learn it from YouTube. We learned it from the word of God, what God declared about himself. And so if we're going to experience this effectual change, it happens when we begin to receive God's word for what it is. Stop treating it as just another thing to listen to but treating it as the be-all, end-all for our lives. Amen. So, there are three effectual changes that happen in our lives. This is something that the Spirit of God does. Number one, number one, he causes you to be a worshiper. Number one thing he causes you to do is to become a worshiper. When God is doing an inward work in you, no man can steal the song out of your heart. You may not have the prettiest voice, but it is a sweet sound in his ear. Amen? You may, not be, you may be like me. I can't, I can't sing on key. I don't even know what they are. I sing on all of them. They all sound the same to me. But the words don't. The words don't sound the same. The tune sounds the same, but the words don't. 
You understand what I'm saying? When God's doing an effectual change in you, when it's this work of the Spirit in you, it is a, it is a, 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 a lavishing of your heart. It is like you're breaking your alabaster box at the feet of the one who was crucified for you, the one who bore your sins and your sorrows, the one who took your stripes, the one who bore your iniquity. It is as if you're able to lavish your ointment, your, your alabaster box on his feet and just declare how good he is. Declare how thankful you are. Declare how holy he is. And, and just to lavish that at his feet. You see, this effectual change, it produces in you a heart of worship. A heart of worship. See, you can get a hundred people in a room, tell them to clap their hands and sing what a friend we have in Jesus, but it doesn't matter if it's not coming from a heart of worship. You can say the words, but it's different when you mean the words. I believe there's gonna be a day when we stand before God. We're gonna stand in judgment. Don't you believe this? And I also believe that Jesus said that, that we're gonna be judged by every idle word you believe that he said it and I believe that many people that make it inside the church walls are going to be judged for singing songs they didn't mean glory 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 and not meaning them, not lavishing them on him. You see, this effectual change that takes place, it produces in you a desire to bring worship to the one who died for you, to the one who went to the cross for you, to the one true God. It is a desire to just tell him how awesome and how magnificent he is. This, this lavishing of worship, lavishing of worship. Might say, you know, well, is that what God really wants us to be? Let me show you. Turn over to John chapter 4 and verse number 23. John chapter number 4, beginning in verse number 23, Jesus was talking with the, the, um, the woman in Samaria, and he was t they were talking about where to worship at. And if you've ever talked with a religious person, that, that's the main thing. They want to know where should you worship at or the way that it would go down in the church today is should we use hymns or should we use this other, you know, should it be like this or should it be like this? She was wanting to know, well, you say that we should worship there. We say we should worship here. Where should we worship at? It's just, and, and if you think about it, she's standing in front of God manifest in the flesh. Why don't we just worship him? Why don't we be like Mary that was sitting at his feet instead of like Martha who was cumbered about with all kinds of stuff that didn't matter? And here she is, this woman of Samaria. She's like, you say we worship there. We say we worship here. Where should we? Should we do it like this? Should we do it? And Jesus says, look what he says in verse number 23. He just kind of turns, turns it around. He says, look, but the hour cometh and now is because he was right there, now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit 
and in truth. For the Father seeketh. Would you look at that? The Father seeketh such to worship him. God is looking for worshipers. God is looking for worshipers. The Father seeketh the worshiper. Will he find any in the land? Does he only find singers and productions? Or does he find worshipers? You see, the, one of the things that, you, if you know me very well, you know I'm going to say this. When he says we should worship in spirit and in truth, we should worship according to the truth of the word of God. Some of the songs that people sing today don't even make sense biblically. God's love isn't reckless. They, I mean, they have all kinds of crazy things. You've got to even weigh the songs that people sing against the Bible. You've got to worship in spirit and in truth. But God desires a people, he's seeking a people who worship him. A worshiping heart. How amazing is it? God's not looking for you to be the most talented. He's not looking for you to be the, the best at this and the best at that. He's looking to see if you've got a heart for worship. Count me in. Come on, I want to be one of those. Amen? Amen. I want to be one of those. Because it's not about talent. It's about heart. If you've ever, you know, played ball games and, you know, you were the last one picked sometimes, you know what it's like to not have any talent. Sometimes you get in a place in life where you just feel like you can't, you can't do anything right. But you can do this. You can worship God from your heart. You may not even have the voice to sing loudly. That doesn't matter. You may not have the ability to clap your hands. That doesn't matter. God's not looking at the outward. God's not looking at the outward. He's looking at the inward. He's not looking at how pretty we sing. He's looking at why we sing. I remember hearing a preacher say that. He said, you know, he was talking to his choir. He said, it's not about, you know, how good you hit that note. It's about why you hit the note. It's not about how you hit it, but why you hit it. If you, if you hit it so that, you know, somebody famous might hear you or you might get a, uh, you know, recognition or something like that, somebody might see you, you're going to get all the glory you need here on earth. But if you hit that note for God, it changes everything. See, this, it's an inward change. Well, worship is, is one of those things that, you know, whenever Jesus was being tempted of Satan in the desert, remember after he fasted for 40 days, he was tempted, right? And, listen, and you may not see this, but listen to this. You know, when you fast, you get stronger spiritually. Jesus said, when you fast. And he also said that there are certain battles you're not going to win unless you fast and pray. But listen to this. You know, Satan came when he thought Jesus was at his weakest, 40 days of fasting. But don't you know that's when he was at his strongest? How about that? And so Satan said, look, bow down and worship me, and I'll give you everything. This is Luke chapter 4. He said, bow down and worship me, and I'll give you everything. 
Jesus said, you shall worship only the Lord God. Him only shall you worship. You see, worship is about declaring the worth, the worth, declaring the worth of someone. That's what worship is. Worship, it says in, in Psalm 99 that we're supposed to worship at the footstool of God, declaring how great he is. We're, we're commanded to worship God with all of creation. If God does an effectual work in you, first thing is he's going to cause you to be a worshiper. People aren't going to be able to stop you from worshiping. The second thing that, that happens is if God's doing an effectual work in you, number one is he'll cause you to be a worshiper. Number two, he'll produce wholeness in your life. Wholeness in your life. Not a whole, wholeness. God will complete you. God will complete your life. Let me show you in Colossians chapter number two what I'm talking about. Colossians chapter number two, beginning in verse number 10. Well, we'll read number nine just for the sake of context, but it says, for in him, talking about in Christ, in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him. You are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. In Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. There is nothing that does not dwell in Christ. There is no peace, no joy, no power, no victory, no freedom. There is nothing that does not dwell in Christ. And in him, if you believe on him, if you're in Christ, you're made complete. We are complete in him. That means that you are not lacking nothing. It means that God produces a wholeness when you're holy in God. Holy with a W. When you're holy in Christ, God produces a wholeness in you. You may not have anybody else in your home, but that's okay because God's there. You may not have any money in the bank, but that's okay because God's on your side. You may not have anybody on your side, but that's okay because God is. You may not have this, that, or the other according to the way the world looks at it, but that's okay because God fills the void. God fills the gap. God produces in you a wholeness. You might be broken from a previous relationship, but God is the one who heals the heart. God is the one who mends our brokenness. He produces in us. He completes us. You don't need anybody else if you've got God. You don't need another person on earth if you've got God. I, you know, sometimes I talk to, to people that, you know, are looking for spouses and things. When you're looking, you're going at it the wrong way. Don't look. Look to Jesus. You don't need anybody else. If you'll look to Jesus and God wants you to have a spouse, he'll bring one. But you don't need anybody if you've got Jesus because he is more than enough. 
He fills the voids. He completes you. He brings soundness to your mind. When we've got areas in our mind where we're cloudy, where we're not firing on all cylinders, God completes us. If we've got an addiction and, you know, we, we have a dependency on this, that, or the other, if we go to Christ and we're in him, he completes us. He fills the void. He mends the brokenness. He delivers us from the bondage. He's the one who ministers wholeness to the individual. Wholeness to the individual. You're not going to be lacking nothing if you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're not going to be lacking anything. Anything. He is more than enough. So in him, we are complete in him. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That means anything that I need, God has, and it's available to me in Christ. Let's say that again. Anything I need, God has. And it's only available in one place, in Christ. Amen. It's not available because you send in 1995 to somebody on TV. It's not available because somebody's having a, a, a meeting halfway across Alaska and you got to drive there and get that person to lay hands on you. You're complete in Christ. You don't need another person. Amen. You're in him, you're whole. If you're in him, you're whole. And see, when you receive the word of God the way it is intended to be received, as God's word, when you receive God's word the right way, it produces in you this effectual working where you know you're whole in Jesus. You're not missing nothing. You're not missing nothing. I'll take you to one more place on that point. Go to... 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. 2 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse number 20. These things that are available to us in Christ are available through one place. That is the work that Jesus did on the cross. You don't gain access to God any other way but through the work that Jesus did on the cross. The cross is God's means for ministering anything to you. You're not going to receive anything from God that doesn't come via the cross. That's God's way. It's through Jesus. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You're not going to graduate from the cross. I'm sorry. Amen. There's no graduating. Everything works from that place. Just as I am. Well, where are you? At the foot of the cross. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. You get away from it, you no longer see. You get away from the cross, the lights of the world will begin to blind you. But at the cross, you'll see truly. Now watch what it says here in verse number 20 of 2 Corinthians uh, chapter number 1. It says, for all, would you say all, please? Now, I know that we're, we, may, we may have a rocket scientist in here. We may not. I don't know. But I want you to know something. When God says all, he definitely means all. He doesn't mean all but a few. He doesn't mean all but, you know, the, the best. When he says all, he means all. He means all. Now, watch what he says here. For all... 
the promises of God. Wait a second. Did you know that this was in a verse? There's a verse that talks about all the promises of God. How many promises of God are in the Bible? There's a lot, right? There's a lot. How many promises of God are in the Bible? There's a lot. There's a lot. Yes. Now watch this. All the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen under the glory of God by us all the promises of God are in Christ there is no promise of God outside of him outside of what God has done for you through Jesus Christ you have no access to any promise of God notice look at the reciprocal if all the promises of God are in Christ, that means there is no promise outside of the cross. That means there is no promise outside of what God did on Calvary. So if, if we're going to experience this wholeness that God has for us, it comes through the working of Jesus on the cross, receiving what he did for you. You don't work for God's promise. You receive God's promise through the work of Jesus. You don't work to get more peace. You don't work to get more joy. You don't work to get the love of God. You receive those things from God via the cross. Last thing that, that is produced in you. Number three, point number three. So number one, this effectual working of the Spirit produces in you a heart of worship, worship. Number two, wholeness. Number three, watchfulness, watchfulness. So you got worship, wholeness, and watchfulness. What do we mean by watchfulness? Well, let's take you to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6, just to touch on this part. This watchfulness... that we're talking about is a spiritual observance of your standing. A spiritual observance of where you are, being aware of where you are and the direction you're headed. Watchfulness means you're paying attention spiritually to what's going on. Problem with most people today is we don't have this effectual working going on on the inside. And so, number one, we worship with words only. Number two, we're not made whole in Christ. And number three, we don't watch. We only react to what's happening. We don't watch for what's happening. A person who's watching, if you're on a balancing beam and you're walking on this balancing beam and down below you is a thousand-foot fall, don't you think you would watch where you're going? When it comes to your soul, it's worse than a thousand foot fall. But we don't watch. The only way you're going to watch properly is if there's an effectual working inwardly. If this effectual working is in there, you're going to desire to watch on purpose. So this watching that we're talking about is being aware of what's going on. Look in verse number six. Let's read five for context. It says, you are all 
the children of light and the children of day, we are not of the night nor of the darkness. Now, do you, you understand the light of the world is Jesus Christ. And when you believe on him, he puts a light in you so that you can bear witness in the world today. But the world is full of darkness. And so you're not supposed to be a part of the world. You're not supposed to be a part of the darkness. You're supposed to be apart from it, not a part of it. Amen? We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Let us not sleep as do others. You know that there are people who are casual about their faith. There are people who are casual about the word of God. There are people that are casual about the truth of the word of God. He said, there's others that sleep. Let them sleep. But us, let's watch and be sober. Let's be awake. Let's watch and be sober. What is this, what is this talking about? What is it in reference to? What are we watching for? We're monitoring, we're monitoring our life. We're monitoring that we're progressing in God. We're monitoring that we're not shrinking back from God. We're ever drawing closer to God. We're seeking to cultivate a deeper walk with God. And when we're watchful, what we do is we notice when we're not growing closer to God anymore. If we're watching, we notice. You know what? It's been a while since I really experienced joy in the Lord. You know what? It's been a while since I truly, you know, it, watching means you're being aware. You're not just sleeping. This sleeping that he's talking about is not going to bed at night. The sleeping he's talking about is people who are sleepwalking through their faith life. People who are sleepwalking through their faith life. It means people who are nonchalant, could care less, are asleep spiritually. Nonchalant, could care less. You could tell them anything. Okay. There's times, you know, you, 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 you be around somebody who is asleep spiritually but claims the name of Christ. I mean, they may go to church, but they're not there. They may go there, but they're not there there. What does that mean? It means they're not watching. They're not watching. They're not looking to the left and to the right. They're not looking and monitoring how they're progressing in God. Let me show you something else. Go back over to Proverbs chapter number 16. Proverbs chapter number 16. You know, one of the things that we see in the word of God, Jesus tells us that there's a straight and a narrow path. And he also says, few find it. There is a straight and a narrow path and few find it. Wide is the path to destruction. You want to be nonchalant and not caring, not watchful? That path is wide. 
but the path to life is narrow. That means that you, as that person on the balancing beam, is watching their every step. You're watching how you're going. When you begin to deviate off course, you turn back to the right place. That's being watchful. Look what it says in Proverbs chapter number 16, uh, verse number 17. The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He that keepeth his way preserveth his soul. There's a highway of the upright. That means there's a path established. Jesus said he's the way, the, and the life. He's the way. The path is established. You walk in his steps. You live as he lived. You go in that direction. If he was merciful to others, but you're unmerciful, you're going the wrong direction. If he worshiped God only, but you're worshiping other things, you're going the wrong direction. If Jesus said that if you look on a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery, and you do that, you're going the wrong direction. If Jesus said he didn't even have a pillow to lay his head on, but you think God owes you a $63 million airplane, you're going the wrong direction. And so here, you see that there is a highway for the upright. And also, you see that there's a departing from evil. That means that you've got to watch how you're walking. You've got to monitor yourself. You've got to have a watchfulness. Well, look, somebody can't just go around and say, have you been watching your steps lately? Because sometimes somebody may not be there to ask you that question. I can't follow you home, and you can't follow me home. You can't, you, you know, you can't be my hallway monitor, and I can't be yours. That's the Holy Spirit's territory. That's why the Holy Spirit's given to each believer. And if you receive God's word as it is, God's word, it will effectually produce in you Wrought is the word. It will have wrought in you a watchfulness, a wholeness, and a worshiping spirit. 